0: Listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Good morning. It is good to see all of you. I just want to invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to go ahead and make your way to Romans chapter 14, where we will be this morning. also just want to express some gratitude um, to this church and to God for just uh, the level of talent. He's, he's gifted so many members of our body musically. Uh, I just love... Uh, coming in on Sunday mornings that sometimes we have you know, a 10-piece a band and sometimes we have a 20-person choir, uh, and then we can also drop it down to one instrument and one voice and, and praise God. So I love just um, the ability music has to, to connect the head and the heart Uh, To stir the emotions, but engage us with truth. And so I love to do that in in different ways, and I'm uh, just very thankful for Amanda's leadership and the giftedness uh, she has, and also just so many uh, people in our church that that lend their talents uh, to help lead us in worship and encourage us in, in that regard. Um, So I'm excited to share with you from the Word of God this morning. Uh, You have already heard uh, the text I'm going to be preaching, uh, and I don't know how familiar it was to you. I know a lot of Romans, it's, it's a lot of Portions of scripture you might hear a lot if you spend time in church because it has a lot of very true um, and rich theology that we kind of build a lot of our, our understanding and our beliefs out of. So there's a lot of pas- uh, passages that come up pretty often that we we turn to. And so this one, uh, although um, it is within that kind of um, Romans literature, might have a little less familiarity. So I don't know if you kind of picked up on what was going on through that reading, uh, but as paul begins this kind of next idea as he continues to unpack like okay uh, we've explained how god's saving work works now what does it look like to live your life inside of that so he's beginning to kind of just unpack some some practical areas of of christian living and so we've talked about that, how we're you know, supposed to love one another, that we're supposed to respect the governing authorities. We've kind of been hitting these different topics. So he begins kind of this new topic in Romans chapter 14. And so it, he, he begins to deal with kind of two areas that all of us are going to have to wrestle with in regards to living out our faith in Jesus Christ. And so kind of uh, historically and traditionally, these have been called areas of both Christian freedom, but then also Christian conscience. And so if you've been around a church any matter of times, a lot of times it's this idea that begins to um, um, just kind of create consternation between Christians. So you've probably encountered some of these areas, even if maybe you didn't know it kind of fell into these categories, but I know for myself, so I've shared, I grew up uh, my whole life in the church. My my dad uh, was a pastor, so uh, all of my life has been spent as part of churches And it's this kind of area that I've seen kind of create the most tension at different times. So here's some of the areas and topics that I saw fall into these just as as I was growing up. It begins to um, unpack, you know, um, point of view from different Christians on areas of life like alcohol. So for some people, you know, it's just kind of part of the culinary tradition. Humans have been fermenting things for a long time. You can pair it with food nicely, or, um, you know, it can help you unwind at the end of the day in the same way that, like, maybe chocolate or, or coffee kind of makes you feel a little bit better. And then for others, it's a, a path to unlimited destruction. And then maybe, uh, maybe you've heard some different takes from Christians on ideas like dancing, you know, uh, social activity, part of uh, cultural traditions, or... As my Baptist roots used to tell me, all dancing is is a vertical interpretation of a horizontal desire and should be completely stayed away from no matter what. If you haven't put that together, you can come find me later. I'll explain what I mean. (laughs) You know, maybe um, you've you've heard different people's take on usage of certain four-letter words that maybe for some people it's just like, hey, I'm just trying to express uh, the difficulties of the times I am facing. And for others, it's like, hey, you're just revealing your wicked and sinful heart every time you utilize that. Harry Potter, <laughs> fantastical children's literature, or a gateway to the occult. You will find different interpretations. And we've had a lot of these things come up collectively for us as the family of God over time. You can think about things like tattoos, showing your enslavement, or just interesting art. Tithing do we have to give 10%? Do we not? going to a rated R movie, okay for Christians, out of the question for Christians, homeschooling, a must or optional. We face a lot of these areas that would fall into these categories of Christian freedom and Christian conscience. And so kind of as that with a primer to hopefully give us a little bit more context, because I know some of the language of the Bible is written to a different context and a different time, and we face different issues But the truth of God's word continues to ring out for us. So let us, again, look to Romans 14. We're going to read verse 1 through 12, and then we will dig into it further. This is what Paul says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So I hope you can begin to see some of the things Paul is addressing and how it deals with these areas for us of both freedom and of conscience. And so specifically, we've kind of unpacked it. One of the things that is going on in this church is conflict between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And so both have place their faith in Jesus, but come from different cultures and different religious ideas. And so this conflict has arisen primarily for the Jewish Christians that want to include Old Testament law in the practice of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the two specific issues Paul addresses, one is dietary restrictions. And so if you know anything about the Jewish faith, within the Old Testament, ceremonially, God had declared some animal's unclean. And so um, if you have any Jewish friends or you kind of understand that, you know that pork is one of those things that is off the table. And so there was a lot that went into that ceremonial aspect of the law to show their separateness. And so they had these dietary restrictions to show their fidelity for God. And so that's one of the things that's beginning to be addressed. And, And not only that, there was also this prescription on you should not eat food or meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now living within Rome, where there's hundreds of deities, in a lot of practitioners of paganism, that would have been an aspect of maybe just going to the grocery store. And so Paul's beginning to talk about that. And that's why he says in, in verse two, I really wanted to make a, a vegetarian joke um, about how the weaker person eats only vegetables. But what he's actually talking about is people that were worried About trespassing against God if they consumed something that had been sacrificed to an idol. It was an act of false worship. So that's one of the things he's addressing for both believers, both those from a Jewish background and those from a Gentile background who have been grafted in, who have come to the faith just in Jesus Christ, just experienced Christianity without a a background in Judaism. The other thing he's addressing when he talks about observing special days is kind of twofold. One is the Jewish idea of the Sabbath. So a lot of times we interject that word and kind of uh, think about it in terms of Sunday, but that was not a a Jewish understanding. Uh, The Sabbath was Saturday, and it was a, a day without work. So you did not do anything. You set things aside. So starting Friday night with your Shabbat meal, with your family, you kind of set everything else aside, and that carried through the sundown on Saturday that you weren't supposed to do anything. They viewed that day as holy, and it would be a trespass against God if you did any manner of work on that day. So Sabbath, but then also all of the Jewish festivals. There's a lot of different festivals that were commanded by God for the remembrance of the different things he had done for the work of his people. And so those are the, the two issues Paul is specifically talking about in these categories of both freedom and conscience, of the Jewish dietary restrictions and not wanting to trespass against God, and also the observance in the Jewish sense of what the Sabbath was, and also do they need to continue to uphold the Jewish festivals? And it's creating conflict within this church body. So, one of the things we should recognize, first and foremost, is that Paul is not telling them what they should do about those two specific issues. You know, a lot of times we we want that. We want the simple answer like, yes, eat the thing or don't eat the thing or yes, observe the thing or don't observe the thing. But what Paul begins to address for both sets of believers is their attitudes towards one another for someone who thinks differently than you do. That's what he begins to address. He, He is not talking about actions at this point. He is talking about heart attitudes towards brothers and sisters who both have placed their faith in Jesus but might think slightly differently about different areas of life. And that is often the case when it comes to things of the Bible, that God wants to address the heart of our actions. So what does Paul say at the very beginning? First, he says, welcome someone who thinks differently than you do. Secondly, he says, not to quarrel over opinions. You know, I kind of wondered in the translation if, like, opinions could break down any differently, like, if different translations kind of take that word differently, and what I found was it doesn't. It is about opinions, which I think is important because both sides of this argument for those specific issues would have considered that matters of scripture, but Paul is saying uh, the dietary restrictions and the observance of the Sabbath was a matter of opinion. Then he gives other, two other prescriptions. He says, do not despise one another and do not judge one another. So these areas of life are areas that followers of Jesus And religious people in general have wrestled with for centuries. And so if I could kind of just um, explain some of the terminology I'm using when I say things like Christian freedom and Christian conscience. So when I say Christian freedom, this is how I would define it. I would say relief from a works-based justification. So I know we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about salvation, how we need to be justified before God, and that is all the work of Jesus but every single one of us has this temptation to begin to think back in terms of the scale. Like, yes, Jesus, but I need to do all these other things to make sure I don't tip the scale back in, in a negative direction so that God is still pleased with me. And so Christian freedom would be the idea of like, hey, Jesus did it all. Like, it is a, a confidence in the gospel that it is not of how, how many uh, boxes you check It is Jesus has saved me, and I have this relationship with him, and although I might make mistakes or do what is wrong at certain points in my decision-making process, that Jesus' grace, his sacrifice was sufficient for me. So it's this confidence in the gospel. Uh, Paul, writing to the church in Corinthians, he he says this in 1 Corinthians 10.23, he says this, he says, "'All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful.'" All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so that's in that area of Christian freedom that we can recognize, like, it's not about the Old Testament law. It's not about the sacrificial system anymore. There is uh, this freedom to just experience the relationship we were designed to have with God because Jesus purchased it for me. And so that's where Christian freedom would come in. Like, we don't have to have this, uh, like, oppressive weight of, like, guilt that God's just waiting up there to smite us as soon as we get out of line. It's a confidence in the gospel. Um, but I, I want to utilize this phrase um, in both areas I want to talk about. Bo- so both with Christian freedom and with Christian conscience. Because like all good things God has given his people, we have the ability to mess it up. And so uh, Christian freedom is an important thing. And Paul uh, speaks on it extensively in his letters. And so some people really champion this idea. You know, like, it is only the sacrifice of Jesus that covers my sins. And so I have this incredible freedom in this. But I would say, like all good things God has given his people, we have the ability to mess it up. And so here's where I would say Christian freedom can run amok. Um, That's not a phrase I get to use much in my everyday language, but I wanted to use it this morning, run amok. So Christian freedom, relief from a workspace justification, but Christian freedom run amok is this. There are no standards, and you can do whatever you want because of grace. And a theological term for that would be licentiousness, that you live with license. You can do whatever you want. Relief from a workspace justification, but we can take it outside of the bounds of Scripture. We can let it have control over us, where we view that our actions no longer matter, and that would be a misrepresentation of the gospel. But this freedom aspect is important. Paul encourages the Galatians church in Galatians 5.1. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Kind of on the other side of that coin, but also very important, is the idea of Christian conscience. Or another word you could use is conviction. And we use this language a lot, like, I have a conviction about this area of life or about uh, this pressing issue of our time. I feel convicted. I have a conscience, and that's important also. And here's how I would define it. Christian conscience or conviction is a deeply held belief about the best way for you to personally honor God in a given situation. And I would say that 1 Corinthians verse applies to this side of the coin as well, where Paul says everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial, Everything is lawful, but not everything builds up. And so that kind of falls within that subjective realm of my own personal conviction because of my relationship with God of, hey, this thing, you know, maybe it's not expressly forbidden by the scriptures, but I would not view it as beneficial and I would view it as not an area that will build up my relationship with God. And so we do have these areas of conviction uh, uh, about the different areas of life where, hey, this specific Instance in this specific circumstance, because of my relationship with God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, there are going to be things that I might choose to um, stray away from or to abstain from because of a deeply held belief that this is the best way for me to honor God in a given situation. So here's where I have seen Christian conscience run amok everything is a hill to die on, everything is a slippery slope or as an excuse to be judgmental. And then the theological term we use a lot is legalism. And so where uh, at certain points in our own relationship with God, God might um, reveal something or speak something to my spirit through his Holy Spirit about how I need to behave or um, um, activities I need to stray away from due to my own specific circumstance, due to my own relationship with Jesus. And so that would be a matter of conviction for me. But where it can run amok is when we begin to project that on everybody else. That we forget that it is only the work of Jesus that has brought me into right standing with God. We forget the freedom we have in Christ, and we think that every single thing is a hill to die on. And so that's what Paul's even talking about right here uh, with this idea of the dietary restrictions. So in 1 Corinthians 10, that verse I I read for you, he begins to talk about, hey, um, if you are in a setting where you are eating meat and you don't know if it has been sacrificed to idols or not, he says, don't ask. He says don't let that be a matter of conscience. That's his instruction because the thought process behind that is like, hey, I could just be uh, eating a meal with a clear conscience before God and uh, even if um some pagan meat vendor sacrificed it to God, God's not going to like kick you out on a technicality because your conscience was clear. You knew that, you know, anything coming into the body could be blessed by the Lord, and God created all things. Everything is God's. And and in fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul quotes that psalm where it says, like, everything is the Lord. So you don't have to be worried and and freaked out all the time that you might accidentally step over that line, and God's going to get you for it. So that's where we have to hold those two things in tension, that not everything is a hill to die on. Not everything is a slippery slope that we don't have to place more restrictions on our life than the bible does. You know, we can have freedom and confidence in our relational aspect with Jesus that if my heart is for God, he is sufficient to supply for the rest of my life. Galatians 5:1 that verse I read where it says for freedom Christ has set free do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery he's talking about is the old testament law. So the church in Galatia were requiring Gentile members who had become Christians to begin the Jewish rites of passage. They were requiring men to get circumcised. They were requiring the dietary restrictions. And Paul is saying those religious acts are the yoke of slavery that Jesus set you free from. So we have to hold those two things in tension. Um, for a while uh, up here, um, probably many of you know, uh, we did a little podcast for our young adults. We kind of entitled it Asking for a Friend. Uh, so me and Taylor, we would sit down a lot and some of the other staff members, and uh, she would just kind of throw out questions for us that a lot of people just kind of in general have questions about. So we kind of framed it towards that college age, that young adult stage, and how they are processing our, our Christian faith in light of the times. And we would hit so a lot of those kind of typical questions like, um, what do you think about alcohol? What do we think about giving our money, those kind of different things. And a lot of times, Taylor would phrase the question, and I think it's common for all of us, is should Christians do this or not do this? And I think for so many areas of our life, we we think in those terms, and for a lot of those things uh, that the Bible prescribes as good, we kind of think that like, hey, if I don't do that, that means God is unhappy with me. So like giving of our money. And so that was how it was phrased, should Christians tithe? And I always tried to like kind of flip it around, like, do Christians get to tithe? You know, <laughs> Jesus says, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive. And Paul's, in his instruction to the church is like, give out of the joy of your heart, not under obligation. So you kind of, it's hard to wrestle with that question. Same with like the Sabbath. A lot of Christians observe the Sabbath, like, hey, I'm going I'm to turn off the work emails. This is a good thing. And so the question can come up like, hey, if you're a serious Christian— all the serious Christians, they, they take a Sabbath, right? And it's like, well, do they have to take a Sabbath or do they get to? Does God invite us to rest, to experience his, his good control over the world? And sometimes we, we kind of flip that on his head of, okay, uh, how many of the things do I have to do to make sure God is happy with me? And that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. God is happy with you. Do you know why? Because he loves Jesus. And Jesus stood in our place and we get to experience his life vicariously in our own through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because I've placed my faith in his sacrifice. And so we have to be careful when we wrestle with these questions. But one of the things I would advocate for is that when you are wrestling with specific areas of how do you live out your Christian faith, that you do it within community. So these kind of issues come up a lot if you've ever read through the book of Acts, Christianity has just begun. Churches are in their infant stage for all of them. And they're beginning to butt up against these different ideas. Ideas like, hey, uh, food sacrifice to idols, in or out. Uh, Do Gentile believers have to also get circumcised? And so uh, Paul's kind of on one side of this equation and then there's some other schools of thought. And so it comes up when he's primarily ministering to Gentile believers. And so what do they do when they have these conflicts and different ideas? what what it says in the book of Acts is they took it all to the elders in Jerusalem. So kind of Paul went and stated his case of how he understands what the work Jesus has done and then some other people kind of stated their case of why they think the Old Testament law still needs to apply and the the elders in Jerusalem and they got together and they prayed and they sought the Lord and then they let the congregation know like, hey, here's where we stand. You can eat anything, but try to avoid food sacrifice to idols and no, Gentile believers don't have to get circumcised. And so they wrestled together with the scriptures, with their knowledge of Jesus, and worked it out within community of where we stand. So I would just say this. If you have a specific issue you are wrestling with, you know, the, the, the Bible is not a magic eight ball where you can just kind of shake it up for every specific circumstance. The Bible is a, a, a wonderful gift from God to lead us into relationship with him, so if you're in kind of encountering that, that situation at work or this question mark you have about like, okay, what, what is the best course of action? Like, is this an area of Christian freedom or is this an area of conviction where I do need to take a stand? I'll just invite you to come do it within the church. You know, one of the, the titles that the New Testament is giving pastors is this idea of shepherding. That we're supposed to be a part of people's lives and help them uh, wrestle with the scriptures and wrestle with the times that they are placed in and uh, be um, an advocate for the things of God and, and help provide some direction. and uh, I, Let me just tell you, between myself and Pastor Charlie and all of our elders, like we would love to be a part of those journeys with you. You know, at times we have um, people who, who step away from our church, and sometimes we get to have the conversation kind of retroactively, like, hey, um, what was it, like, why did you decide to go elsewhere? And a lot of times it's, you know, I've been wrestling with this thing for like a year, um, and I decided I land over here. And always in that, there's always this sorrow for me that, like, man, I wish we could have had those conversations together. You know, maybe God could have used some insight in a certain way or you could have listened to some other voices instead of just wrestling with those different issues inside of your own head or uh, even worse, Googling them um, and maybe missing out on some of the things that God might want to lead you into. And so I would say wrestle with those within the church. Because one of the things we need to recognize is that the family of God, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, is incredibly broad. It transcends time and geographic location and culture. In every person's specific family situation, inevitably, there is going to be more than one perspective on a variety of issues, because each of us will evaluate life's circumstances and come to the scriptures with our own individual lens, It is going to be informed by our experience. It is going to be informed by the culture we've been brought up in. It is going to be informed by the times we find ourselves in. We read the Bible in light of all those things. Like we have our own personal lens, we apply to it. And so it would be uh, a faulty assumption to just think blanketly like, hey, if you love Jesus, every single person is going to read this situation the same way. That's just not how it works for any of us. And so there is this wrestling that needs to happen collectively on different issues that we need to struggle together for the glory of God and for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That was one of the things I found just very poignant about what Paul is writing to the church. There is an assumption in this passage that there are going to be people at this church who disagree with each other. He's saying that. He's like, hey, hey, Welcome that person who views this issue differently than you. Don't judge that person. Don't argue with that person. You know, um, uh, show grace towards that person. There is this assumption, like within one church, that there's going to be a variety of opinions on these different aspects of life. And there was just a part of me for that that like felt that that's something that is um, beginning to be lacking in our current church context. We do this thing where we self-sort and we seek out places where everybody thinks the exact same way we do. And I think that will be to our spiritual detriment. There's been two events uh, within the past 10 years that have escalated this idea of us kind of finding that spot where everybody is on the same page as I am. One was the 2016 election. You can find stats on how many people left their church after the 2016 presidential election. And it's in two directions. Some people left their church because their church talked too much about politics from the stage and they did not like that and so they went and found somewhere else that didn't. And then there are people who thought that their church did not promote politics enough and weren't talking about the issues the country is facing and so they left their church and went and found a church that talked about it more. And you had uh, moments leading up to that election and during that election where you could even find you know, prominent pastors, prominent Christians who would say things like, all real Christians will vote however they personally thought that they should. That they took this idea of conviction and blanketed it across the board for all people in all circumstances with all different perspectives. And people left their churches because of it. And I think that is to the detriment to Jesus' church that we didn't contend for relationship over our specific areas of either freedom or conscience. The other event that did a a similar fashion in self-sorting us was COVID. That in in the same way, we had people who were unhappy that any restrictions were placed over the gathering time, and so they they pulled up stakes and went and found a church that didn't have any restrictions on the gathering time. And then you had people who were unhappy about the lack of restrictions and pulled up stakes and went and found a church that had more restrictions. And we begin to self-sort based off finding a place that agreed with all of my areas of freedom or conscience or ultimately, at the end of the day, all of my areas of preference. And so I love, as Paul addresses the church in Rome, there is this assumption that not everybody's going to have the same point of view. And I think we know that on certain things. Like, I don't think any of us would come here and be like, you know, I think everybody in this room this morning views every single issue of life in Scripture the exact same way that I do. But we, we kind of need to live that out and address that at times. Like, hey, you know, I think about this thing differently. Like, oh, huh, that's interesting. Why do you think about it that way? It's like, well, this is the perspective I'm coming from, and this is this experience I had in the past that informs why I fall on this area of this specific issue. Like, that would be good and cathartic and healthy and godly for us as a church to recognize that we can view areas of life differently. Now, one of the things that Paul is saying, if you could look again in verse 5 and 6, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now Paul is saying that the positions we hold or the areas of conviction should be there. That we should be intentional about why we view things a certain way. And so if we um, have never really even thought of it, I think paul encourages us like hey these contentious areas of life that christians are struggling with like you should have a perspective on that like maybe you should think a little bit more of why you want to vote the way you want to vote or why you drink alcohol or why you don't drink alcohol maybe you should have a thought process behind that because he paul is saying like each one of you should be convinced in your own mind so in your personal pursuit of the lord you should have a perspective about all of these issues we are facing. That doesn't mean you have to have figured it all out on the front end, but as you follow Jesus, your, your heart should attest to if you were being faithful to him in your actions. So I love one of the things the Apostle James uh, says in, in James 3, because along with this, I think Paul would advocate, you know, have a position, ha- have a line you're not willing to cross because of your relationship with the Lord, but do, do it with humility. And so in James 3:17 he says this about wisdom from God. He says wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, then he says this, he says open to reason. Now I'd say as I have uh, gotten older and kind of uh, came out of my like high school Christian bubble of doing the youth group thing and being a pastor's kid and having certain perspectives as a 19-year-old that had it all figured out about the things of following Jesus, there are areas of conviction in my own heart that have changed over the past 10, 15 years because this is a relational aspect of following Jesus. I did not have everything figured out when I was 19, and I still don't have everything figured out when I'm 34. And so we should have an opinion. You should have a perspective. You should be intentional in the actions you take or the actions you choose to abstain from, but you're supposed to do it with humility. The wisdom that is from God is peaceable. It's open to reason. It's pure. On the individual level, we should take matters of conviction very seriously. This is how Paul portrays it in verse 4. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Um, The the verbiage that is used most often in the New Testament about uh, our positional relationship with Jesus is one of, of servant and master. Now, he is a benevolent master. He is Uh, one who has set us free from the tyrannical master of sin and has offered us his lordship and his reign in our life. But that is one of the ways we are supposed to view our relationship with God as, hey, a servant desires to please his master. If you look through most of the New Testament books, uh, these disciples and apostles, the people who were closest with Jesus, as they address the church, um, sometimes Paul uses the term apostle, which was this called out one of God, but more often than not, the term is used, Paul, a servant of Jesus, Peter, a servant of Jesus, James, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. They viewed this within their lives that their primary goal in all things was to please the one who had saved them. Jesus is Lord. He isn't just our get-out-of-jail-free card. We are supposed to view him as the kindly master who has saved our soul and will teach us the right way to live. And that's important for us. And even Paul already, back in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, he says that having been set free from sin, we become slaves to righteousness. We are to submit to the rule reign of Jesus Christ, which means my primary focus is to please Jesus. Now there is a bit of tension here, I would say, within living that out in Christian community, because we know that within the church, we do answer to one another. You know, we are supposed to carry each other's burdens, we're supposed to um, confess our sin, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, but at the same time, our, our goal and our mindset should not be to please the people around us, but to please Jesus. Like, I am his servant. He is my master. He is who I answer to ultimately, and so that needs to be my perspective. And I just tell you, like, I have to remember that as a pastor a lot, that me expressing the word of God, me living out my ministry, it, it is not to please you. And I'll fall into that a lot because I care about you and your opinions matter to me and your your words matter to me. But at the end of the day, I'm called to serve you because the goal of my life is to please Jesus. Look with me in verse seven through nine. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. The perspective of my life and the convictions I hold to are at the end of my race. I want to hear my master, my Lord and Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the reality portrayed in the scriptures is that my path will be unique and different than your path towards the end of the Gospel of John, um, we have this moment in Scripture that we call the restoration of Peter. And so you know that like at the crucifixion scene, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times and then runs away in shame. And then uh, once Jesus is resurrected and he's appearing uh, to the apostles, there's kind of like that elephant in the room when it's his time with Peter. And so Jesus does this moment where he kind of pokes at that, but it's a restorative spiritual poke. And so he has this moment with Peter, like, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. So we ask him three times and he brings Peter kind of back to, into this relationship, like, hey, you can continue to follow me, serve me, live for me, even though you failed in that moment. And then he kind of tells Peter, like, look, like, you're going to suffer for me. Like, it's, it's fine. You're gonna hit that next moment and you're not gonna cave to the pressure and you're gonna stand firm for me. And then there's this really interesting verse that kind of happens because John's writing this and it's saying like, Jesus is telling Peter some of the things that are gonna happen in his life and Peter looks at John and he's like, well, what about that guy? And Jesus says, what is it to you? You follow me. And I feel like we can fall into that a lot, that we do have this interconnectedness as followers of Jesus Christ. We do belong to one another, but every single one of us, our, our path's gonna be a little bit different. There's gonna be thousands of actions and interactions with people and with the Lord that are going to direct the different things that I do. And so what Jesus is saying is saying, hey, when it comes to who you are pleasing, there needs to be a singular focus. As for all of us, we follow him. And I think that's why Paul, more than actions, addresses attitudes. He's going to move towards actions Christians should take on behalf of one another in regards to conscience and conviction. But this is not a new struggle for Christians. Um, For several hundred years in the continent of Europe, Christianity was the religion. There wasn't really another option. Um, You know, post kind of Roman Empire, you know, Christianity kind of spread, and that was it. It was all Christianity. Even after the Protestant Reformation, you know, there was different splintered factions of Christianity, but all of Europe was Christian. And overall, those several hundred years where Christianity was the only religion, a lot of wars took place. So you can kind of get some interesting writings from different believers and stuff. And a lot of times people would seek to to justify their country's position based off of spiritual things they'll be like, hey, well, here's why that church over there, they're actually not worshiping God, and uh, they're of the devil, so it's okay if we invade them. And so that happened a lot for several hundred years. And so I, I love there's this quote uh, from a 17th century uh, Lutheran theologian uh, that you've probably never heard of. His name is Rupertus Meldinius. Um, but he said this thing that I, I feel like a lot of Christians have grabbed onto for several hundred up to a thousand years for like, okay, how can we do this well? And this is what he said. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And I would believe in that, even to this day. We are going to have different moments of where we either choose freedom or choose restriction. And that is between us and our master, Jesus Christ. And so once again, we can echo the words of Paul that we are uh, to welcome in that brother or sister who thinks differently and to not quarrel over our opinions. I think this whole chapter could be summed up well in what we're going to read in a couple of weeks in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Paul says this Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, how it does apply to every season of history Christians have found themselves in, to the different struggles, to the different questions we are going to face. God, I pray that we would um, just humbly submit ourselves to you. God is faithful servants. And one of the things you have called your servants to is kindness, is grace towards one another towards uh, trusting that you have got it all figured out and you are in control. God, I pray for all of us that we could trust your grace on our own life, that you're not just waiting up there for us to get out of line so that you can smack us back into place. God, that the, the image you give us for how you behave is one of a shepherd who loves his sheep that you're going to call to us, that you're going to correct us, that at times you're going to discipline us, God, because you, you love us and you have our best interest in mind. God, I pray for, for our church specifically, God, for the, the body of faith here at Park Springs Bible Church, God, that we would have grace towards one another, that we would bear with one another in love, God, and where we have sinned against each other, that we would forgive each other. God, thank you for the way that you continue to love your bride and how long-suffering you are with your people. God, let us emulate it in our own lives. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.